Liquid Courage, the podcast where I, Amanda Pereira, sit down with a fellow artist that I admire and ask them the questions I've never had the guts to ask them before. Sounds scary? Well, it is. So I use a little liquid courage in the form of their favorite drink. We cheers, chat, and connect as I attempt to soak up all the wisdom they have to offer. Today, I sit down with Natasha Negovanlis and we drink some ginger kombucha. Kombucha? I don't know. Natasha is a Canadian Screen Award-winning actress, best known for her role as the broody vampire Carmilla in the hit series, Carmilla. You may have also seen her as the former face of the Kinda TV network and the co-creator and star of NYC WebFest award-winning comedy, Clairvoyant, alongside Annie Briggs. Last December, she started her own podcast, Vanless Presents Real Talk with Natasha and Friends, where she chats with her more interesting, talented, and intelligent friends. Her words, not mine. Natasha thoughtfully and generously uses her global fan base on social media to advocate for mental health awareness, intersectional feminism, and positive 2S LGBTQ representation. So Natasha is an actor, writer, producer, host, and someone I admire immensely. All right. Hello, Natasha. How are you this evening? Hi. Hi. What a loaded question. I know. Um, I do it every time. Damn it. I'm like, why am I asking this question? No, I do the same thing on my podcast. Um, Well, you know, it's, it's, it's force of habit. Um, Mm -hmm. But to answer, honestly, Mm. I'm like, just okay. Whatever that means. Yeah. You know, I'm surviving. Mm -hmm. Uh, Am I thriving? No, but (laughs) I have my health and things could be worse. Yes. That's always, I'm like, all right, find one thing I'm grateful for. Know that things could be worse. Okay, great. Cuddle my dog. That's what I try on. I'm finding right now too, the weather isn't great. And it's just really like getting into my, getting into my heart. Um, I'm really, really excited to talk to you today. And we've never had a conversation. We have never met before in person. We have emailed a bit, um, but I'm very excited. And I would love to dive right in. I have my ginger, uh, kombu- how do you say it? I say kombucha. Kombucha. Okay. Perhaps I'm not saying it right. I don't know. It's definitely not like, uh, when people, oh gosh, when people say, like kombucha. Okay. I for sure have said cam like I find that I have a weird this like an accent where I make words uglier oftentimes because I have for sure said kombucha which that's not no that's not it it's not a calming sound I mean what is what is an ugly accent to someone they might be like <laughs> that accent does it for me goddamn angel I hope my partner thinks that maybe I'll say kombucha and just see what they do just see what they say Ooh. I love that this is ginger because my tummy's been a little like wonky today, like a little like, mm, I don't like anything you eat. So I feel like this will like settle my stomach a little bit. Yeah. I love that you have a fancy glass for it <laughs> and I'm just drinking it straight out of the can. Um, no, I love that. I actually got a glass and then thought, mm, if Natasha doesn't bring a glass, am I making her feel bad? If she brings a glass and I'm not, am I making her feel bad? No. So I would, there's no way. never that I have both feel bad either way oh Oh. no it's great I contemplated putting it in a wine glass but yeah I I go through phases where I'm like kind of off the sauce you know yeah 
Although I did drink champagne yesterday for absolutely no reason oh. um, in a robe that felt like a hotel robe just because I was like, well, this is where I'm at. But yeah, sometimes I feel like though uh, kombucha because it's fermented, you know, mm. sometimes you're like, wait, am I feeling a little buzz off this kombucha? Is this some ginger champagne? I love that. I also Maybe. love that you are able to just like check in and be like, you know what? I'm going to make a choice to get off the sauce for a little bit. And then maybe we'll come back to it. Maybe we'll stay off of it. Who knows? Maybe today my sauce will be kombucha. Now I'm thinking of how I say it. Kombucha. Kombucha. Well, cheers, love, with our kombucha. Cheers. I love kombucha. We're just going to lean hard into it. I love kombucha. I do find that sometimes it smells like um, apple cider vinegar, which makes me think of feet. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. I that's why I go for like the ginger, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel like the ginger masks it, a little flavored. I'm not I'm not an unflavored kombucha kind of gal. Yeah, me neither. Oh, I remember in I don't even remember where this was. I traveled somewhere, probably LA, but they had in like a grocery store, they had a full kombucha bar and they had this lavender one that was the most incredible and I have never found one that tasted as good and I don't know it was in like a keg so I don't even know what brand it was I know I'll be it's the one that got away yeah if I find it I will tell you lavender see I have mixed feelings about eating lavender like I love the scent um it has to be done well though and like minimal amounts I really like it in like an earl grey tea but I had a lavender um ice cream once that tasted like soap not that I've tasted soap but it's how I would imagine soap tastes yes (laughs) you know what's so funny I just thought in my head like yeah it's a smell not a taste but I'm the one who brought up like I'm the one who initiated tasting it and you're yeah I think the instinct is only to smell it I love it in a tea though it's very nice in tea I wonder what it is you have to mix it with in order to be like Mm -hmm. this is the perfect pair and now it's great you know yeah maybe they just overdid it They just overdid it. Maybe they just overdid it in the ice cream. Well, I would love to dive right in with you. We already dived. We've been treading water. Now I'm going to dive on your podcast. I believe it was you called, you referred to yourself as, um, I'm going to quote so that I don't mess up the wording. So you referred to yourself as quote, an out of work internet celebrity that no one's heard of unless they watch queer web series. And I had a laugh about that. I thought that was like super funny. And then I was thinking about it and I wonder How much of that is you like just joking around and how much truth is there in you seeing yourself in that way right now? That's a good question. Um, Okay. I mean, like there's been bits of bits and pieces of work, but um, I do think there is a lot of truth to it. I Mm -hmm. mean, I have a pretty, I, I don't have, I don't put myself on a pedestal. I have a pretty like good sense of humor about myself and I certainly deflect insecurities and any, and sometimes even deflect compliments with, with humor. (laughs) But I do believe there's some truth to that. Um, Mm. when I won a Canadian screen award in 2017, yeah, I, I had wonderful followers and fans from all over the world vote multiple times a day. I think there were 2 million votes and I started off my speech by saying most of you are probably wondering who the heck I am because people didn't know and it Mm. and people thought it was going to have an impact on my career but to be honest in Canada I mean it it hasn't at all and like most people don't know at all and so I still struggle with straddling this world 
between being seen as a celebrity in some people's eyes Mm. and then not really having the same support system or Mm. paycheck or, you know, (laughs) security um, or understanding. So it is kind of odd because when I'd have to ask for, like, I remember when I used to still work in the service industry and I'd, you know, I have to ask for certain things or be like, oh, please don't tag me in this photo. I think people just thought I was like an egotistical maniac. But Mm. until like someone would find out where I worked and came in and then people would be like, oh, this is very real. Um, That actually happened at a a film premiere even um, back in Chicago. This was 2018. I did a film called Freelancers Anonymous. And at the wrap party after um well i guess it wasn't the rap party but the, the post sort of premiere party where audience members could mingle with everyone in the cast um i got very anxious because i i don't really like being around people who are drinking and there was like a lot of alcohol and mm. um which is funny because i used to be a bartender but that's <laughs> oh, that's no. a whole different story you could be like get the fuck out of my bar um, yeah that's yeah, very true you do have like the physical bar in front of you yeah. most of the time to be yeah that's true yeah <laughs> But anyway, I, I just like, I get very overwhelmed in crowds and, um, you know, it's quite funny because one of my castmates who's very lovely, but you know, they didn't know the extent of my following, I suppose, mm. you know, after working together. And so I was like, Hey, it was great to see you. I'm going to step out. And they were like, Oh, well, I'm not Miss Popular. So I'm going to stay. Ugh. And they made that comment and I was like, crap. And so I stayed for a moment, but then immediately I was like swarmed and backed into a corner by 35 people and they could see I was visibly very uncomfortable and not that I don't love meeting people who admire my work. It was just like a tight situation. It was like a room with no windows. People were drunk. It was just like, I was like, I, I've got to go. Um, and then as soon as they saw that they were like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, can I get you an Uber? And, mm. um, yeah. And then I just like went back to my hotel room and ate Chicago mixed popcorn or Yum. mixed popcorn as they call it there. Just mix. Yeah. <laughs> just mix. Yeah. It's just mix in Chicago, I guess. Um, I find it so interesting. Like when you're saying like an internet celebrity that no one's heard of, it's sort of this like a uh, self-deprecating humor, right? Which like all of us do, right? But it's this, I guess I should say, because we've never met. And of course, as my video goes um, blurry, I'm saying, I'm saying that I feel inferior to you, which is absolutely perfect that my camera has decided to just manifest it in a visual representation for you. Um, But I think as someone like, I knew of your following after Carmilla or knew of you because of Carmilla and was like, oh my God, she... I absolutely was guilty. Oh my God. So successful. And not that you're not, but, but you saying these feelings of like, people have this idea when you win an award or when, when these kind of things happen, people make assumptions about it, you know? And so I thought it was actually like a really nice moment of reflection when you said, and I know it's just a sentence, like don't hang on to a sentence that someone says, but when you said this in your podcast, I thought, isn't it interesting that here's here we are like sitting assuming that we know things about other people or assuming, oh my God, see, they got that job and their life is perfect and everything's great and they made it and blah, 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 blah. And just completely assuming these things when you're like, oh, I actually feel a bit inferior in that maybe I'm an internet celebrity and some people aren't taking me seriously or some people see me in a different way, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and that's actually not to put down my 
audience and my support mm-hmm. system and, and followers and fans, like I, when I say no one's heard of me, um, I mean, they are very much somebodies and I'm very, mm-hmm. very, very grateful and lucky for the community that I've built. And it's different. It's better now. I just think when it was first very popular and I was still yeah straddling that line between like having to work multiple serving jobs pay my rent Mm -hmm. but then also going to an event on the weekend and signing autographs for hours it was like just a very strange I I would just felt like I was split down the middle and I was two people and I still struggle with that now sometimes because there's a part of me that's like you know there's the phrase that's dress for the job you want and so Mm -hmm. there's a part of me that was like well I just have to put this on and be like yeah I am this person Mm -hmm. um But I also always want to be very genuine. And I think some people, I think that actually annoys some people too. I think some people are like, you know, especially because if they don't know the minor details of of my life, they might be like, oh, why is she complaining or what is she complaining about? And it's really Mm -hmm. just me trying to be very honest and very relatable and to make people feel better about wherever they're at Mm -hmm. in their careers. But uh yeah, yeah, it's a funny thing. It's a very, very funny thing. I haven't had to deal with it too much because obviously being in lockdown for a year, um, <laughs> yeah. there's been no opportunity for me to be out and, you know, be recognized or things mm-hmm. like that. But um, yeah, yeah, it's funny. There's there's no real star system in Canada, which has its uh, the pros and cons, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, in terms of like the Canadian media sphere, I think other actors are aware of who I am, but producers and casting and things like that aren't aren't at all they didn't mm. they didn't know my work at all and and if anything when that happened I got more calls from the states and that's when I did go and shoot that movie in Chicago and mm. you know I think I I think there is a sense of like that ability to come from nothing and make something of yourself as an actor in an entertainment in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. that dream is still alive there more so than in Canada I think Mm-hmm. I do feel like we have so much incredible talent here, and it's a shame that they have to leave to find success. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do feel like a lot of Canadian television is very um, – it's a lot of actors who came – or very white and come, came from very upper-middle-class backgrounds, had parents in the industry, and, and nepotism exists everywhere. But I really hope that we start to see a shift. And I think after last year, it was very exciting to see things like um, – BIPOC TV develop. It was really neat to just see my peers. And this is, you know, obviously it's not a community I'm a part of, but it was just exciting to see my peers start to like band together and be like, actually, like we should have more representation on screen. Mm -hmm. You seem to be such a person who like wants to be using your platform in order to help other voices be heard and in order to reach people. And I wonder too, with that like pull to want to be everything you can for people and to want to appreciate. And if, you know, 35 people come up to you pre-COVID, because that's a whole different scenario right now, but pre-COVID, if 35 people swarm you and they just so appreciate you and you spoke to them, you know, in your roles or in your, in your social media, your podcast, wanting to like give them what they are looking for and not disappoint them. And I wonder what that sort of struggle is like, because I know, I mean, it, it, oozes from you how much you love your community so I just wonder like what that struggle is like because I think it would be really difficult to communicate your appreciation and also take care of yourself yeah I think there have been a number of situations where people assumed that I was rude or Mm. you know cold um and that's something as I've gotten older I mean I think now that I'm in my 30s I 
I'm like, it is what it is. And I'm very comfortable with who I am. And I know who I am. And the people who know me personally know who I am. So I have to trust that that reputation of, mm-hmm. of being a kind, inclusive person will precede me. But, you know, everyone makes mistakes and whatnot. And I think um, in my 20s, when when I, I was sort of at a, a really high point in my career, I was going to say the height of my career, but hopefully no, I haven't hit no, that yet. No, no, uh, no. High point. A high but, point. Yeah, yes. a, a, yeah, one of them, one of many. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, I think at that time, yeah, I, I just was so bad at protecting my energy and I just like mm. took everything so much to heart. And so when people believed things about me that weren't true or had a negative opinion of me because of a misunderstanding, I was like devastated. And then mm. I had to realize like it's, it's really not about me. I mean, there was a situation where I was at a convention, um, you know, a, a media sort of fan convention, sort of like a Comic-Con in Spain. And I didn't realize that one of the events where I got to mingle with people and they had paid to come see me and speak to me and other actors. I didn't realize that it was going to be in a bar with strobe lights and I have a neurological disorder and I can't be in strobe lights. I will have an insane stroke like migraine and be violently ill for like 48 hours. So I immediately had to leave. And it was funny. I remember seeing tweets that were like, oh, what a diva. Like, who does she think she is? She just like walked out and, you know, on some level, it's like I have to see those and just ignore them. Yeah. Um, But on the other level, I, I did tweet back and I was like hey this is something that I have so just like it's not about me but more so like when you walk in the world just remember that just because someone doesn't advertise all of the things like they're going through doesn't mean that they're not going through things and it doesn't mean that you don't like you don't know everything about a person based on various social media interactions Mm -hmm. um one of my really good friends princess weeks she just tweeted that today and I retweeted it and it was amazing I think she said um, yeah, just because someone doesn't advertise their trauma doesn't mean they haven't experienced it. And mm. I was like, yeah, let's uh, let's all remember that. So important. Well, yeah. And it's hard. I find like, I find, I don't even, I have nowhere near the following you do, but like even in my friends and family and things circles, like sometimes I feel like, oh, maybe I should share something on social media. If I'm going through something and I maybe am not as um, responsive to people like texting, or I'm not calling people as much. Sometimes I even think, oh, should I send out a text to people and let them know I'm just struggling this week? Or like, should you see, you see people being vulnerable in that way or sharing certain things about themselves on social media, like tweeting it or on their Instagram. And sometimes I'm like, should I be, do people think I'm an asshole if I'm not saying, Hey, I'm just having a tough week. So I'm not really like answering a lot of messages, but early on, not super early on, but a couple months into like the original, the original, the OG lockdown last year. Um, I remember someone saying like, just because you're doing nothing doesn't mean you're available. Those kind of words. And I really thought like, yeah, I could even be sitting at right beside my computer, right beside my phone doing absolutely nothing. And it doesn't mean I have to be available for anybody. I, I can be unavailable because I'm unavailable. It, it's not a can't. Sometimes it can just be don't want to not right now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's totally valid. And sometimes you just don't have the capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like my camera doesn't have the capacity to focus right now as we're finding. <laughs> She's really struggling today. She's having an off day and she doesn't need to tell everybody. I just, I mean, I told her, but okay. So 
please correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. So you went to school for voice performance, not just, not just art, not just performing art, but specifically voice performance, like opera. You came out for the first time at 15 years old. When I was reading so many things about you, I thought, first of all, I thought like, I, I've been quite an apprehensive or like a hesitant person in my life, which I have a lot of shame about therapy working through. (laughs) Um, but it's like, once I learn something about myself, it takes me longer than I'd like to sort of like accept that thing about myself, let alone be open about it to others, especially if I think it's going to open me up to any sort of criticism or like lack of acceptance, which is basically everything about somebody, right? Like someone's going to not like it. So I'm wondering, what do you think it is? Is it a confidence? Is it a gutsiness? Like, where does this assuredness in who you are and what you want come from? Oh, goodness. See, it's really interesting to hear that perspective from someone who's never met me before, because I have wild insecurities um, in terms of like, yeah, I came out probably around 16, but like, it's like, what does coming out really mean? I remember having a conversation about it with a few friends, sort of being semi out of school as, as, as bisexual at the time, uh, you know, telling my mom, but coming out takes forever. There are folks I had never come out to. I remember never coming out to my voice teacher. Um, I remember, you know, not, uh, I, I, I just feel like you're always presented with times in your life where you do have to come out and it is mm-hmm. a process and, there doesn't need to be one big coming out thing. It's like you can slowly come out to different people. Um, so yeah, I, I remember there was one time I was having a minor surgery and I had a girlfriend at the time. And it was very funny because the nurse asked for a urine sample because she was like, oh, we need to test for any chance of pregnancy. And I was like, oh, there's no chance. And she's like, oh, well, you never know. And I was like, uh, no, I've had a girlfriend <laughs> I know. for three years. I, yeah, definitely. Or two at the time, whatever. I was like, yeah, no, definitely, definitely no. And that was a weird choice though. Cause a part of me was like, Ooh, did I just make myself unsafe by like saying that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she laughed and it was fine, but I, you know, there are times was yeah, in medical situations, you know, people may not feel comfortable coming out. Um, and I certainly didn't in, in opera school too much. I mean, I was out to like some of the, some of my peers, but even then I got a lot of backlash for it at that time weirdly Mm. enough for like you know I had really short hair at that time and I'd wear like blazers and stuff and I remember having accompanists be like oh it's too bad you're not a mezzo-soprano because you'd make such a great boy and (laughs) what uh, yeah or like there was one soprano when I was in the opera who was like oh like yeah Natasha's like a raging lesbian like why and you know and then people got weird about changing in front of me in the dressing room and stuff like that and it was just like very silly but then also at the same time I remember looking into Queer McGill and at that time I mean gosh this would have been probably like 2009 uh it just felt really cliquey and it didn't feel Mm. for me like it was for me either so Mm. I think as a bi or pansexual person it's really hard to yeah sort of fit in or find that community but Mm -hmm. um but then again, I'm not going to complain because I also have the privilege of being cisgender and very femme and very straight passing and and in now what is perceived to be a straight relationship. So there's a lot of privileges that come with that, too. Mm-hmm. It was fun to watch you be like, oh, it's interesting that someone I've never met before sees me that way. And like, does it feel accurate? Would you would you I don't know, would you think of yourself as like 
gutsy or, or, um, see, and I hate the word brave. So we're not using that word, the B word, get the out of B here. Word. The uh, B word. Now I'm, now I'm going to turn the tables and interview you. I'm like, why don't you like the word brave? I'm so interested in this. <laughs> we'll have to have you on, on Van Liz Presents. Oh, I would love to. And we'll just name it brave. She's brave. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just talk about it. But I wonder like, yeah, does it feel accurate? Or when you look back at those things at, and you're right, like, I mean, you come out continuously throughout your life. I feel like it probably never ends, but for the first time to sort of live openly in that way at 16 and even, and maybe I should give some background. I always, I always wanted to be an actor. I wanted to go to university for it. I didn't because I just didn't have, I felt like it was a lack of confidence in myself and being able to just like proclaim this is who I am. And so I'm probably projecting or seeing a lot of things in you that I feel like it seems like you're so able to say, this is who I am like done. And yeah, I wonder if you see yourself that way, if it's easy for you to be like, I am this way. So take it or leave it. Bye. Ooh, I don't think it's so like, it's not so black and white for me. Mm -hmm. I do think I do have a sense of not confidence. That's the wrong word. I think I, I'm very grounded in myself and mm. my convictions and I'm very loyal and I'm very strong in my morals. I always have been. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really important to be able to adapt and be able to pivot and be able to change and to be able to change your mind when you learn new things and to be able to be like, I was wrong about this. Um, and it's interesting to hear you talk about going to school because to be honest, like I didn't want to be an opera singer and mm. it took me a while to realize that. And I left school to be an actor mm -hmm. in my third year. I went to a musical theater high school, a specialized program for performing arts. So I was very fortunate that I was always in a, a community or I was always surrounded by things that were very nurturing when it came to nurturing your inner artist. Um, but that being said, I, I, I totally get that. I think people were very blindsided by my voice. And I think a part of me also wanted the status of saying, I'm an opera student at McGill. Mm. Mah, mah, mah. When, you know, I came from a very like working class family. My mom grew up in a housing project and, you know, is an incredible survivor and did very well. And, you know, my parents did the best they could with what they had. But, you know, my dad grew up with I mean, half my family are immigrants. Um, he was a custodian. Um, so because I was the first person from my family to go to school, I think I was really, I had a lot of weight on my shoulders in terms of like trying to just be as impressive as possible. Mm. And there was a part of me that thought if I went to university for acting, people won't take me seriously. Or if I'm just another teenage girl, mm -hmm. uh, it's like, I want to be an actress. You know, people won't take me seriously. So I did something else. And then through that, I learned that I love to sing, but it was a tool I was using to communicate. And at the core of it, I was, I was really an actor. I wanted to tell stories. Mm. And even then now I'm like, you know, the way I'm telling stories is pivoting too. Um, I've always changed and adapted. And I think that's the thing is I'm very sure of my interests and in self, but I always leave myself open to discovering new things about myself. Mm. And I feel like that's been one thing that this pandemic has sort of 
gifted a lot of us is is a time to be particularly introspective. Mm, absolutely. I think the past year or so has um, really allowed me to like hear my gut a little bit more, like hear my inner voice. Cause for so long I would, I would complain to my therapist. Like if someone says, what does your gut say? I'm like, listen, she gave up so long ago. Like I stopped listening to her for so many years. She's not even whispering <laughs> anymore. She's reading a book in the back. Like she gives no shit. She's not talking to me. Oh so slowly God. now she's giving me another chance and I'm really grateful. I'm taking it very seriously. I'm listening. Um, but through this time, I think I'm I'm learning that I have this like resistance to pivoting. And it's interesting because in my personal life, if I'm learning about like other people's experiences or certain things, my pivot, I'm like ready to pivot that I don't feel a resistance towards, but it's professionally. I feel such a resistance towards pivoting because so often I associated it. I associate it with failure. I associate it with like, oh, well, why don't I try this different thing? And there's that little voice that's like, well, if you were succeeding in the first thing, then you wouldn't pivot. And that's not true. That's just not true. People pivot for so many reasons. And a lot of the time it's like, oh, well, this is like, follow what you love. That's the whole reason you were in the first thing to begin with. Yeah. But I wonder if it's ever difficult for you pivoting or how you sort of, yeah, navigate if you're ever feeling like maybe you didn't, you weren't successful in every single thing you set out to do, you know, how you sort of navigate that for yourself. Yeah. There was a lot of shame about leaving school for me and Mm. it wasn't easy. And I think I felt very guilty about it for a long time or, or just embarrassed about it. And I definitely had a sense of failure and I've felt like a failure many, many, many times Mm. in my life. I mean, I didn't book an acting job for two years at one point um and obviously now with the pandemic it's hard but yeah i totally see peers going back to work and i'm so happy for them but there's always a sense of of failure and yeah i think perce- i think perception is just so interesting and i think social media comes into play in that regard and in terms of like being afraid to change you know i think it's partially to do with this fact that we're so expected to be a brand instead Mm -hmm. of fully formed human beings. And once you, (laughs) you put your brand out there, then you have to always do the same thing and look the same and, you know, aesthetic and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. And it's just like, I I think a lot of times too, when people have access to you, they project a lot of their own shit onto you. So anyone who doesn't believe that someone can change or pivot or, you know, was being phony before just because they're doing something different now. It's like, mm-hmm. I think that's just ref- a reflection on their own inability to grow. Yeah. Like even in acting classes, if I had a dollar for every time an acting instructor said like, you're the brand, you're the product, what are you selling? What's your hit? Sort of drilled into this, like be a one dimensional brand, one dimensional and sort of like give up all the other things and commit to something and commit to it forever, which is terrifying. Okay. So you leave school, you, um, do musical theater professionally for, for a bit and you book the digital series, Carmilla, where you play a broody lesbian vampire named Carmilla. And I'm like, how many times has she heard broody lesbian, the the word broody probably fucking hate it by now. Um, and the show blows up, you gain fame awards, you know, you're getting to travel. Like you said, it changes your life. And I'm wondering, like, I know you've said in past interviews that like most of the characters that you've played 
are parts of yourself, you know, and ideally, I mean, great roles allow you to bring out different parts of yourself, but I'm wondering post Carmilla, when you have this online presence, now you have this following, how much did you worry about Carmilla, the character defining or limiting how much you could show of yourself online worrying like, well, what if I show the other parts of me, am I going to disappoint people or, or can I only show the parts of me that are similar to Carmilla to keep these people interested? What was that like sort of pressure? Like, yeah, there's a part of me that wonders if I had just fully bought into the, like, okay, this is a part of me. This is how I should brand myself now. And Mm. I should only ever, wear I don't know leather jackets all the time yeah. which like I you know I do often but uh, <laughs> my closet is obscene like I have so many things where I'm like I just get the same thing over and over again it's just a slightly different version of a motorcycle jacket <laughs> your partner's like please I just want a tiny bit of space in the closet and you're like no I need 75 leather jackets like it has to happen it's me it's who I am yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like no this one's different because it has yeah. a lace on the arm and this one's different because it's like kind of silver yeah. um no um but yeah I feel like I I could have done that but I just I find lying just very difficult I don't know <laughs> like I can't like I just I can't do things if it doesn't feel right Mm -hmm. and also I'm very much a character actor so it was funny hearing you say that about a hit because I do think some folks are really really good at you know just being themselves and putting themselves on screen and Mm -hmm. and for me I add colors of my personality to any character I play but I'm very much a character actor like I'm very interested in like fully transforming and being extremely different every time. And I know that for some folks that's hard to market. And, you know, when I cut a demo reel, I'm like, oh, what should I lean into? Will will an agent like this, will casting like this? And it's like, cause it is kind of all over the place, but I'm having a great time doing it. So I think your demo reel shows such like versatility and variety. I mean, maybe some people say like you get cast in something and then you get stuck playing that thing over and over and over again. But I actually think it's just a lot of people, especially in Canada, are a bit more hesitant. And so they're like, well, we need to see the evidence that she can play this role before we'll cast her in one like it. So, oh, okay, she can play this kind of character. We'll cast her in this, but we won't take a chance on something else. And so I think sometimes it's really hard to get enough footage where you are a variety of different characters. So I was actually watching your demo reel being like, fuck yeah. And I was curious, like after Carmilla, where you played Carmilla, and then you created Clairvoyant with Annie Briggs and your character was like so different from your Carmilla character. But I know you've mentioned before that both of them were like parts of you. Were you nervous at all to put out Clairvoyant and see what the reception would be from your like Carmilla loving fans? I was more so nervous just because it was the first time that I had written and produced something. And so reflecting upon that, there are things that I not regret because our cast was brilliant and I wish we had had the budget to have a larger cast but I know you know uh, there were issues with not having like with our our actors of color being lighter skinned and and things like that that I didn't even consider at the time I was just thinking like oh these are the most talented actors that fit the role the best and you know there were other considerations like for Nico who's my love interest I love Sabre and we're really close friends now and uh, for me, I was like, I want someone who's not, um, you know, an extra small. I want someone who can play queer very well and believably. I want someone who's really good at physical comedy, really good at improv, and someone that I have chemistry with. And it happened to be Sabrin. 
Um, and I do think we I we had talked about it and some I can't speak for her, but I we had talked about it and I do think in some ways it was kind of unfair for people to erase her blackness. Um, but it's not that's not for me to speak on. So I know there was um, yeah some issues with that. Uh, but no, I wasn't too nervous. I mean, at the time I was hosting kind of TV which is this YouTube channel. And I look back at all those videos and I cringe so much because no it's way. Me, why? Yeah, and why? it was fun. I don't know. Cause it's a, well, it's a, just a very watered down version of me, but I think mm. people were used to seeing like kind of quirky, silly me before, um, before clairvoyant came out. Uh, mm. but it, yeah, it was a very safe version of me. I mean, I think what people didn't realize is that like I was a host and a cre- content creator for a channel that had, a team of people behind it who were requesting certain things or I had to make certain videos. I mean, yes, I was creating the content, but also it was like the mannequin challenge is trending. So you have to do this mm-hmm. or, um, you know, there were things they would cut out. Like if I, my sense of humor is a bit dark or there, <laughs> there was one time I remember when, uh, we had been asked an interview question and it was like, how do you keep your shit together? And I was like, <laughs> I'm on so many medications yeah. and you know, they were like, Oh, I got to redo that take. You got to cut that out. Cause we can't have that on the channel and things like that. Like it had to be mm. very safe. Um, so that's why I'm very excited as well to, to be introduced to the world of, of podcasting. Um, even though it was just supposed to be a sort of silly pandemic experiment, but I like the fact that I'm completely in control of like who I have on the show, what we talk about. It's very unfiltered and I get mm-hmm. to, work with a more diverse range of people and, and highlight them. And yeah, it's really, it's really nice. Yeah. I think too, like if I'm ever writing something or filming something that I've written, I really worry about, I really want people to feel taken care of because I remember being on so many sets and just feeling like, oh, wow. Like you're just not regarding any of our feelings at all. Like, okay, this is just bullshit. Like I want to leave, but I feel I can't for so many reasons. And so I find with podcasting, you get to control the environment a little bit more for guests and like allow them to feel, yeah, safe and and taken care of and hopefully enjoy their time as well, which is like just sometimes harder to do on set when you're not with every single person all the time taking care of them, you know? So yeah, it can, it's so fun. Um, I'm trying to think back. I don't think I've ever been in a position where I was like, chemistry testing and looking for like a love interest. I've had it where other people cast a love interest for me. And I cannot think of a time where it was enjoyable. One time, one time where I was like, you respect me, want to take care of me and look at me like a human being. Oh my God. Hi. Can we be friends? Otherwise I was like, this is torture. Get me out of this. So what was the experience like of having a show that you were like, you were creating And then you were like trying to find a love interest. Did it ever make you think about like your own personal romantic life and like, who do I click with? Why am I clicking with this person? I thought I would click with them. Why am I not? What kind of like head games did it make you play? Oh, that's such a funny question. Um, I I didn't think of it in relation to my personal romantic life, to be honest, Um, because for me, chemistry can mean a lot of things. It doesn't have to be romantic. It doesn't have to be physical attraction, sexual attraction. To me, it was very much about the sense of humor and the improv and just how we jived. If we could mm-hmm. like play tennis and bounce off each other. And yeah, we just did a lot of improv. Um, I, I wasn't even part of the initial audition process for that though. Like for the first round of auditions, um, it was just for the 
producers and um, the director, and then they sent us their top favorites, self-tapes, and then we, Andy and I got to choose who to come in for callbacks, and every single actor who came in was amazing, but it was really interesting to be on the other side of the table and to see what goes into casting something as well and how many opinions are in the hat and, um, yeah, how many or how many cooks are in the kitchen? I don't know. Other random metaphor. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but yeah, so it was, it was interesting to see how that works. What was something as an actor that surprised you about casting when being on the other side? Cause I, I do think so much. So I've worked in casting on and off for like, I guess six years now, seven years, something like that. And so often I want to tell, or I do tell like my friends and stuff, if you don't get a role, I pr- they always say, oh, it's probably not because of you, but it's like, no, I promise you so many times it has nothing to do with you, but you can't really, it's something someone just has to like experience for themselves because they think you're just being nice. So I'm wondering what did being on the other side of the casting table, like really teach you as an actor or surprise you? I think it really taught me that you can possibly change casting's mind, but it depends on who, who it is too. I know that there are a lot of like cis white male directors who don't really have imagination. They have a very particular idea of who they want. And, you know, for, for us, there were, we allowed the actors to bring in their own ideas and flavors and things really changed our mind. Um, like, uh, Jason who played Xavier, uh, brought in like props and an oven mitt and stuff and it was super <laughs> strange and wonderful and he really created the universe and we were like this is hilarious and amazing but some creatives hate that I've I've had auditions where they're like absolutely no props do not mm-hmm. use a prop um, so you know it's like it, it, I think it's just it's very different and as you said yeah it's not about your talent I mean literally everyone we saw was incredibly talented and at the end of the day it just like came down to a number of factors and mm-hmm. and almost a vote between like 10 people. So <laughs> yeah. I think that's another thing to understand too, is like, it doesn't mean that you're not likable if you don't get a role. It's just, you know, the way it is, there are mm-hmm. higher powers, powers that be making decisions as well. And yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. There are self tapes that I watched for a project that I was creating with some, with some colleagues of mine. Like there was there are a couple self tapes from 2012 that we still reference that we're still like, we want to get this person in, but they don't know that. Sometimes if I'm feeling down, I'm like, maybe someone has thought about my self tape for 10 years and thinks I'm fucking awesome. And they just never told me, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I think they do. Yes. I'm going to manifest that for you. Thank you so much. I have my crystals out where I'm going to manifest it all over these things and just hope. And I think too, with casting, when I would go to an audition, I would think like, that it was more unbiased than it is, which is, I think is quite naive of me, but I just thought, oh, they're going to choose who's best for the project. But it is so biased. Like you were saying earlier, like projecting things. I mean, I projected things on you literally was in the first five minutes of this conversation. I've already learned more about myself. You know, it's like in the room, the, the director can't help that someone who broke their heart 
that you remind them of that person. So there's no way you're going to play the good, the good hero in the show or whatever. I'm making such a convoluted crappy thing, but those gut feelings or those like instincts that are intangible, they come into play in casting and you can't help it. It has nothing to do with you. It's most people aren't even aware of it. Most people who do casting should have to go to therapy and become aware of their biases or something. Well, it's true. I mean, I think that, it's true. I wonder if you experienced this too with, mm. um, you know, having kind of similar coloring. I, I, I do find it interesting that sometimes like even when I'm auditioning for things, it'll be like, oh, well, if there's a white character, they do want a blonde person. Um, you know, I've auditioned for things where it was like a very um, – I remember I auditioned for a very Latinx show and there was only one white character and it was literally just like – Oh, well, I am white, but you actually look too similar to Mm -hmm. the other characters. So yeah, 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 it's kind of a, it's a weird Or I've like found out that I was auditioning. I didn't know that um, people couldn't quite figure out where my family was from. I, until I got into acting, like I never thought, I never thought about it, which is also a huge privilege that I realized I have. And when I started acting, like people would ask me all the time. And then there are multiple times where I went into an audition, assuming that I was going in for a character who was white and found out I was not and was like, oh, no, 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 no. This can, this is not like I found they were bringing me in for a character who was Chinese. And I said, no, no, no. Like you can find a Chinese actor. Like, no. For you. Yeah. The other, the other requirements of the role were so broad, like comedy I think they gave a 15 year age range that I was like, no, go do the work. (laughs) There's no way. But also maybe they just thought I was, I mean, my last name, my last name to me, it's a, so my dad is Portuguese. My last name is like a very, very common Portuguese name. And also when I was growing up, there are so many times where people would like, if I would go into a bar and the bouncer would see my ID and be like, oh, you're Portuguese. Like, so I guess I grew up thinking everybody knows, like everyone just knows this. Um, But no, I do sometimes run into that. And it made me, I think it's like really interesting and it can sort of fuck with your mind a little bit when you get into acting, because at least in the beginning for me, it became so much about how other people see me. Like, how do you sell yourself for other people? Because it's like, well, how other people digest you and absorb you and process you is your worth. And that's it. And it's been very hard to, oh, taking the word pivot to pivot around and be like, no, no, no who I am is the thing that matters. Like what I'm comfortable with is the thing that matters. I think it's really hard to give your, like to take back the power as an actor because so much of it is waiting for the audition or asking for the funding for the show or getting cast, like all these things. How do you like ensure that your career is in your hands and you're, and you feel like you have some of that power as an artist? <laughs> Look, I mean, look, I'm still struggling with that. And I think as an actor, you have to also just acknowledge that you don't always have all the powers. So Mm -hmm. find it in other ways. Like you said, Mm -hmm. like creating a podcast or writing things for yourself, um, you know, writing things for other people, uh, you know, creating your own content. If that's if that's what you want to do is so Mm -hmm. important. Um, And also putting your foot down when it's something not appropriate. Like I, I remember being offered a role that was supposed to be um, half Persian and yes, I could 
look like that. Greeks and Persians really mixed, mixed in because my, my dad is Greek. Um, you know, there is, there is a lot of, of mixing happening in the Ottoman empire, but being Islamic was very integral to the story. And so I had to say no. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, you can have control in that regard. Um, or, you know, if I am offered a script and I just find it like incredibly damaging or harmful, like I'll certainly say something. But at the same time, I'm also have to acknowledge that not every role is going to be completely fulfilling and that's okay. It's part of, but it's part of the job you play and you enjoy things like I'm not above, you know, doing commercials and things like that. (laughs) Hey, have you heard? The Liquid Courage podcast is now on Patreon. Patreon is a subscription-based platform that allows you to support your favorite artists while receiving fun, exclusive perks for doing so. Head over to liquidcourage.com to find out more, or go directly to the podcast Patreon page at patreon.com slash liquidcouragepodcast. See you there. Is there a company that you would love to do a commercial for, like a product you would love to get to eat endlessly for a day? That's a great question. Um, more so in like the social media influencer, I hate using that word, but, um, you know, in that sort of realm, I'm very cautious about that. Like I would never push a product that I wouldn't actually use myself or like, uh, you know, didn't fully believe in, but also gal's going to eat. So <laughs> in that regard, hmm, in I that regard, what's the gal going to eat when she's got to eat? I know. A <laughs> or it doesn't class. have to be food. It could be whatever. There's a company called Dame that makes <laughs> sex toys actually. Yeah. But okay. They have a really great um, social media presence. And I would love to collaborate with them. Also Clue, the period app as well. I'm very interested in collaborating with brands that like I actually use that have a very intersectional um, team and a cool social media presence. So I get excited about things like that. I did one for Thinks, period undies. And, and mm. that, was, that was cool. Okay. So Dame and Clue, you heard it here. I know. Good at Natasha. I think it's, it's, it's a hard dilemma to decide, like, do you do a commercial for a company that you're like, mm, this is going to give me $10,000, but I don't really eat said product or whatever. Like it's hard. You know, if you go into a role, if I go, if I go into a TV show or a movie, I'm not worried that I'm not like that character at all. Cause I'm playing a character, but when you're selling a specific product, like, yeah, morality comes into it a hundred percent. It's hard to not want to research every single company and make sure, you know, if they're not a hundred percent great, then I don't want to I don't want to touch them. It's a very hard area to figure out. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, also, then nothing would get made ever, unfortunately. And you would just absolutely never work because the unfortunate thing is like you can do as much research as possible. But I guarantee you that even on set still to this day, there's always going to be some like seedy man who is at the helm of a project or even if he's like in the shadows as an executive Mm -hmm. producer um i really you know now feel more of a social responsibility to make sure i'm working with good people and i've been very lucky that i've worked on a lot of projects that were very female centric and and very queer um and inclusive but that being said there are a lot of gross uh slime balls in this industry there are a lot uh, of gross yeah yeah, but sometimes you just don't know about until it's too late. Yeah, until you're already biting that burger and you're like, great. Well, 
Wonderful. I think you just, you do your best. And I mean, that's all again, human three-dimensional human, you know, hopefully people understand though, when you do a commercial, like you're still playing a character and, you know, I think that's very different than a public personal endorsement of something or, you know, celebrity. Like I would, I would never like do a McDonald's commercial as me, Natasha Nagovanlis being like, I'm Natasha Nagovanlis from Carmilla and I love McDonald's. Like, (laughs) you know, uh, but uh, if I was just like random girlfriend on a date, eating a Big Mac number one, then yeah. hopefully people that would totally be your character name too. Just girlfriend number one. Like that would just be the character name in the sides as well. Yeah. Girlfriend number one. Yeah. Yes. Cause there is a number two and that's fine. I would be very impressed if McDonald's was like polynamory positive or open to other forms of love other than monogamy. I'd be like, all right, bring it on McDonald's. Oh, wow. I love that your mind went there. I don't know why I said <laughs> girlfriend number one. I was thinking of like a cup, like a double date or something, but then I'm also like, or is it someone's first girlfriend? I don't know. Cause oh. I have been girlfriend number one before. Well, more so in the lady spectrum, but yeah. you know, I've, yeah. I've been someone's first girlfriend before. Yeah. Oh, I have also been someone's OG girlfriend. Do you feel any pressure being someone's OG girlfriend? I did, I guess a little bit at that time. Yeah. But then I guess at one point, you know, perhaps I was someone's OG girlfriend, but I was also like a teenager and it yeah. was nothing. And I Fair. was probably they were probably my OG partner too. So yeah. no, there's something very sweet about OG partner. So the partner that I'm with right now, I've been with them for like years and years and they're wonderful. And I'm like, still, what's that? What's that term? Like waiting for the hat to drop the foot to fall. <laughs> I don't know. The, like the I'm waiting. I'm like, there's no way that I would like somebody this much for this long. And they would like me this much for this long. And that we would both be good people, but I'm kind of just waiting. Sometimes I just like when I used to drive a car or like, if I used to be on the subway, just listening to music. And I would just think like, they're probably going to die soon. And I would cry. And then I would text them when I got out of the subway and be like, don't die. And they would always tell me like, stop putting that in the universe. We're fine. But I don't know what that is. I'm convinced that it's too good to be true. Yeah, I get that. I actually feel similarly as well. And I think learning how to let yourself accept love and be happy is weirdly sometimes harder than accepting people disliking you. And yeah, I hear you. Thank goodness for therapy and antidepressants. Yeah. <laughs> I realized I felt like such a cliche a couple of weeks ago when I sort of realized like, oh, I like avoid being happy. Like, I don't think I deserve to be happy because like, I went to school for psychology. You hear that in all the case studies and I am not diminishing anyone who feels that way. I just thought that I naively thought that that was something you would just know that you felt. And I was like, I'm not one of those people, 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 like describe me as cheery and peppy. There's no way that I am pushing myself away from happiness and then realize like, oh no, if someone means enough to me, I picture them dying. Like I am, I am convinced they're, it's too good to be true. What the hell is that? Why are we like, why is it so hard to accept that somebody loves us and that we love them? That's a great question. What a fucking question. I'm so, yeah, I'm like, hey, nice to meet you, Natasha. Why can't we accept love? That went too deep. And I was Uh, just like, no, I actually, I love it. I just feel like now I need to think about that. And then we just have a whole other episode just about that. Okay. (laughs) Go to Patreon, check out part two. Yeah. (laughs) 
we're going to do a part two of why we can't accept love. Well, okay. I am curious a little bit in this vein, but maybe like not as putting you on the spot with such like a philosophical question. So I am trying to remember whether it was on a podcast that you were on or an interview, but somewhere you were, have, you were having a conversation that was put out publicly somewhere. And you were mentioning that as a kid, you, you didn't feel like you were a super popular kid. And then I'm thinking you went into a career where, like we said, it's so much about other people's like opinions of us or approval. And so I thought if you don't feel super popular as a kid, and then you also are going into the arts, you're probably familiar with the feeling of rejection or like feeling like lonely or not feeling like an outlier, you know? And then you get Carmilla and you hit this, like you get hit with this huge amount of positive attention, like autographs. You get the fans choice award. Like you said, that had over 2 million votes coming in for you to get that award. That is massive. And I know it's always easier to believe like the negative feedback, like we said. So when you get these like positive comments or positive things about yourself, or when I'm like, you seem like a fucking rock star. How do you make sure that that positive attention and that love actually sinks in and you don't just chalk it up to like imposter syndrome? Oh, that was just luck. They don't really know me. How do you make sure the positive stuff really sinks in? Oh, it's so hard. And I'm such a big advocate for therapy as as now you can probably tell I've mentioned like therapy 10 times already in this episode. But uh, yeah, it took me a long time to really unpack that. I mean, I definitely have a big old shield of like humor, deflect, uh, no, um, you know, it, it took a long time for sure. And it was weird to, yeah, like win essentially a popularity contest when I was not that growing up at all. You know, high school was a little different. I wouldn't say I was like super popular, but I also wasn't, I mean, it was a bizarre environment where it's like, we were all weird music theater kids. And, and then there was also a visual arts program. So, you know, we were all just kind of like weird arty kids. And and so everyone was kind of odd and fit in, um, you know, with each other by not fitting in, I guess. But uh, but it's certainly in middle school and elementary school. Yeah, what happened? There was like a really big shift. So I went to like a very downtown school, inner city school, whatever that means. But, um, you know, a very diverse school, uh, grew up downtown. Um, you know, it, it was just north of Greektown. And then my family moved to this very weird part of Scarborough. Uh, and when I was 10 and I got put into a school in the middle of the school year. So that was already difficult enough. And it was this very bizarre, like step 40 in neighborhood school that were like, I was the ethnic kid. Um, you know, so when you grow up with that, you know, it can kind of affect you. And I think that's also why, like, it took me a minute to also, like, check my own white privilege and things like that. Because, like, when you grow up not being, like, waspy white or, like, you grow up being seen as the other, you kind of, you really identify as that. And, you know, my mom is mixed indigenous. And I, I, I did an episode with uh, my friend Tunchai Redvers on Fanless Presents about the difference between indigenous identity and ancestry. And, um, you know, that's something I'm also very careful about, but it's, it's very, um, yeah, it's, it's very odd to, I don't know, I guess, I guess there's like actors in general, we all just need validation. Like there's a sixth sense of like needing validation, but also for me, it's also about giving, I think, because that being said, it was like weird. I was not cool, but I always got voted class president or on student council. And I was always like fighting for the underdog and people still voted for me, even if they didn't like me. So maybe they were like, this girl's like way too intense, like, and <laughs> clearly is way too into this it. job of being like communications executive. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but there's also a barrier, right? as well because it's like I think I feel the most comfortable when I am sort of 
creating community or leading community or organizing something. I I don't really do super well with authority figures and I (laughs) I don't do well in group scenarios where like there's tons of very boisterous people. Um, I get social anxiety all the time. Mm. So yeah, it's something I still struggle with. I feel like I went on a random tangent that didn't actually answer your question. What was the question again? Oh my gosh. That's all podcasts are. Don't worry. This, just, that's great. No, the kombucha is going straight to my and you, head. And you said it might feel that way. So you warned us. No, I think you did sort of as well, but yeah, it was just, how do you ensure that going from feeling so familiar with sort of rejection or like not being the popular kid, like that kind of being a part of your identity and growing up maybe, and then going to essentially winning a people's choice award voted by 2 million people. Like, how do you make sure that you let that, let that sink in and be like, okay, maybe I am like now you're, I would look at you as like the most popular, like you're a fucking really popular. <laughs> so like, I just, I think that would be such a mind fuck, I guess of, of, of a journey. Yeah, it is. I mean, okay. To be fair, it was probably like 200,000 people voting multiple times and, you know, maybe a hundred thousand of those votes were actually just my own mother. Um, I'm still convinced that that's it. <laughs> what if it was 2 million people? Like this is what I mean. Like it's yeah. easier to be like, maybe it was my family a hundred thousand times and the other hundred thousand, like maybe they just think I'm cute. Like it's easy to do that. But I wonder like, what if it was 2 million people? How do you like, how do you make sure you're like, yeah, Natasha, I am fucking awesome. And I deserve those votes. <laughs> It's a lot of personal work and it's a journey and I still don't feel that way. Like I, so I'm on the OCD spectrum and I talk about this pretty openly on my social media, not all the time, but I'm on the OCD spectrum. I've struggled with anxiety. I've struggled with depression. Um, My OCD manifested in excoriation disorder, which is also known as dermatillomania or like body, a body focused repetitive behavior. So it's like a skin picking disorder. So Um, there's an element of self-harm to that. And I'm in a CBT group for that right now to address that. And what's really interesting is through that therapy, I have realized that it largely started and manifested around 2015, around the time that my career started taking off and going really Mm. well. And around the time that I was famous, uh, quote unquote famous, whatever that means, became famous. And it's very interesting that also one of my triggers is when something good happens to me. And Mm. part of it is emotional regulation and it's being uncomfortable with the good feelings and a lot of that comes from like unpacking other childhood traumas it's not just about childhood bullying you know I've gone into uh, you know relationship experiences family experiences it took me two and a half years of seeing a therapist every single week to really understand why that is or why I put myself down and who put me down in my life to make me feel that way and healing is a journey it doesn't happen all at once But one thing I've realized is that you don't have to be fully healed in order to share your life with someone, in order to accept love, in order to accept good things. And I think a lot of the time, my perfectionist nature really felt like if I wasn't at the top of my game or I wasn't feeling the best, I couldn't be with someone. So I would run from relationships because I was like, I would be like, I'm not the best partner I can be and you deserve more and and things Mm -hmm. like that. And, you know, I've broken up with people just because I wasn't feeling good about myself, not because Mm -hmm. of anything they did, you know, and then I've, of course, been like cheated on and other things. I mean, gosh, I've had so many relationships. I realized, like, I guess the first time I went on a date, it must have been like 14 or 15. And I was like, oh, my God, I've been dating for like over 15 years. Um, (laughs) So a gal's been around. Um, No, but um, yeah, in, in, in learning that, I was like, oh, wait, but actually, 
actually nobody is fully healed and nobody's perfect. And when you do find a partner, hopefully you can find a partner who loves you unconditionally, but Mm -hmm. also wants to support your growth. That's really special. And I'm really lucky that I have that. But I'm also, I, I think I've had people who would have been willing to do that in the past as well, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to allow their love to come in. So the timing just aligned better, but it was a struggle. It was up and down. I mean, there were so many times I tried to flee from my current relationship and I, I, I told them, I was like, I, you know, I'm going to try to run and be like, oh, you, you deserve better. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, they've, they've been really supportive of my mental health and really stuck through it. And it's, it's wonderful. Sending love to your partner. That's so lovely. I think being open about those things with someone that you feel safe with, that you feel loved by and taken care of, and you know, that you can trust them with it. It's like almost healing in itself. Like sometimes just acknowledging something to them can just be so healing in it, in itself. And I mean, I'm not saying everybody put all your, me put all my shit on my partner and then he'll, you know, he'll fix me like, no, but just that showing those vulnerabilities or those things that maybe you carry shame around or that, you know, it's all in progress. There's no like end point. I think that was too. I realized like I was chasing like, okay, what will make me happy as an end goal? And then realize, oh, happiness is just like a mood. It's just like a state of being. It's yeah. not, it's a thing that pops in and out. It's not like we've reached the Island of happiness. Oh, the work was worth it. Like that doesn't happen. <laughs> so, so just, yeah, it's all a journey. And Yeah. I think building that, like, I mean, back to what you said, that community around you, whether it's a partner and or friends and or chosen family or anything is like so, so important for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think what's also interesting is, you know, when my career was at a place that I had always dreamed of, there was still a sense of emptiness. There was still a sense of sadness. I was still Mm. not addressing certain traumas from my past. I still wasn't, um, you know, valuing myself. And, and so, yeah, as you said, I mean, happiness can be found in so many different ways Mm. and you, you can, there's always a chance to practice gratitude, but there's always a chance to also want more and, Mm. you know, want to do better and want to grow and change. So. Mm-hmm. Balance, balance. I'm all about the balance. Balance, know. balance. Oh. The nuance, which mm. is hard, I think. Yeah, for. it's hard. Well, I think it's hard, especially when you have any sort of social media following. Like, I think nuance is so easily lost online yes. or can yeah. be, you know? Yeah. And, and, and yeah. context too, because oh. you know, people see snippets of things and it's like, okay, but you're, you're not seeing the full picture and it's very reactionary and, and that's taking a long time to learn how to navigate as well. Well, yeah. And I think too, there's this resistance online to just like, or there's, there's, there, I guess there's this resistance. It feels like in my experience to acknowledge that online is curated and that doesn't mean that it's inauthentic. Like, it seems like if you say it's curated, it means it's not real. It can absolutely, absolutely be a very authentic representation and presentation of that person. It's still curated. They're not showing you when they like are sitting on the couch wondering if they have an ingrown toenail. Like no one's posting that. Maybe they are, but it's still curated. They're choosing it because there's a reason why they want to share it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like when you're digesting anybody's posts or anyone's tweets, it's so unfair to not constantly remind yourself, like you said, context, nuance. They're posting this for a reason. Don't make assumptions. I think it would be so great if every time somebody had like an opinion of somebody else online, just for a moment, they were curious, not judgmental of themselves, but they were curious and just ask themselves, what am I assuming right now? 
maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. But like, what am I assuming by having this opinion of the person? Yeah. It's interesting that we call it social media because it's not social. It's not, it's not a conversation. It's not a dialogue. I've been very lucky in that I've been able to create some interesting conversations in community and, and connect with people. Absolutely. It's been a tool to connect with amazing people, but it's not a conversation you're not listening when you comment on someone's page it, you know you're not you're digesting their work but you're not you're not actually listening to each other there mm -hmm. is no active listening it's not fulfilling in a way that socializing can be i had a friend say to me I was talking to them about wanting to start this podcast and a huge part of it was that i felt like i was so out of this comedy community or acting community that really I'm like, I've been a part of for like a decade, but I just didn't feel it. And I didn't connect with people and I didn't reach out. And I would have people that for years, I mean, I've known of you for five or six years. I've never reached out because I'm like, what do I have to say? What, what's the point? What do I have to offer her? Then it felt like an audition too much. And that was one of the reasons starting this podcast was like, this is my liquid courage to ask them out quote unquote for a drink or for a coffee or whatever. So, but she said to me, you're such a good social media cheerleader. And she was basically saying like, you support everybody, but at a distance, like you'll say great job in person, but you don't ask for things back. And that's why you're not feeling connected to the community. I want to support people, but I'm not taking that step to actually reach out in a way that risks like being rejected or being, you know, not accepted because it's safer online and that's fine. And sometimes that's the only thing that you have capacity to do, but you're not going to get that connection. Like you're just not going to feel it. You could, I could go through your entire Instagram and think that I learn a bunch of things about you. I'm not going to feel connected to you because like you said, it's not social. It's not a dialogue. Yeah. That's so interesting. And like, I'm really glad that you asked me to be on this podcast. Cause it's like, Aww. so interesting to hear that you've known about me for like five years. And I was like, that's so wild because I guess I guess a part of me is like, oh, what am I giving off that like makes me not approachable in some ways, I guess, but I totally am. And I'm always happy to <laughs> connect to people and yeah, I'm glad that it finally. Yeah. Happened. Oh, absolutely. And I should say like, it's me, not you. That's <laughs> like a hundred. No, it's me, not you. It's, it's yeah. you, not me. Like, Wait, what? It's. <laughs> I wonder actually, like, because you have such a following online, not to harp on that too much, but I'm intrigued and I'm interested because I think it comes with so many lovely things and so many things that are, that humans are not set up to navigate. Like how the fuck do you navigate it? I'm wondering, um, because people have exposure to you and what you share online and they, they might assume a lot of things about you and then they meet you and it probably feels like to you, they're a stranger and they feel like they already know you. What's something like a misconception about yourself that you find people wrongfully assume about you from online, like when they meet you? I think this happens less and less now, but I do think sometimes people were surprised when I am very like just approachable. Um, I don't know if it's just like my look or <laughs> bone structure or something, but <laughs> I think for a long time, um, people sometimes people think I'm intimidating, but I I don't know. <sighs> that was such a pretty sigh. <laughs> that was such a perfect sigh. I'm like, I know you do voice work from that sigh. That's so funny. Yeah, I'm like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, was a so glad that that sound like <laughs> half a half an opera degree will make you a fantastic <laughs> sire. Yeah, exactly. Gosh, yeah. No, these are great questions. I'm usually better at answering right away, but I actually have to think about it. 
I think sometimes people think I might have an inflated sense of ego or self mm. because of that confidence. And I think people always misinterpret things that I say or posts that I say because people also just love to interpret things however they want. And mm. it's impossible to express yourself in, you know, 240 characters yeah. on Twitter, whatever. Um, I guess the biggest thing is like, people will see bits and pieces of things and they don't understand that they're not seeing the full picture or like, mm. you know, they're not seeing conversations that are had offline. And I definitely struggle with navigating just in terms of like being an advocate for certain political issues or, you know, trying to champion certain people and communities. I think I really struggle with navigating between seeming too performative or mm. being too silent. And, you know, when I do certain things offline, it's like, well, if I do it, that's great. And I'm doing the work. Crap, if I don't post this, people then assume that I wasn't doing the work. Or if mm. I don't post this, people will be like, well, what are you doing? You're too quiet. But if I do post something, it's like, oh, are you virtue signaling? And it's like, at the end of the day, I just like it's and it look, it's easier said than done. It's taken me like 31 years, but I finally <laughs> let go of just the fact that it's like people are just gonna think what they're gonna think. Yeah. You know, I used to, it used to because I try to be so honest and so genuine. Not try. I mean, I just like I am to a fault to the point where I have verbal diarrhea and I say stupid things impulsively <laughs> and then I'm like, oh my god, no, I'm sorry. But like, yeah, I'm so bad at thinking before I speak or write or post and you know, everything is just like how I feel in this instant moment because like for the astrology nerds there, I'm an Aries, okay? So it's just like, blah, here I am. Um, Me too. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. We Yay. have a lot of weird similarities that I slowly learned. Mm. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, I, yes. I like it. Also yeah, Aries. What's your, moon yes. and what's your rising? <laughs> um, I did check them out for, uh, I had a conversation on another and I'm so sorry. My video is fuzzy again. I don't know why. Um, all the technology hates me today, but that's it's okay. great. It looks really dreamy. Actually. It kind of oh. looks like you're in like a nineties music video. Thank you. Is it the choker also? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a little bit the choker, a little bit the fuzzy. Thank you for making that a uh, positive moment. Oh, look. And then we're getting rewarded with a little bit of clarity from my video. Now I can't remember, but I'm going to message you. I'm pretty sure there's a Taurus in there. No, I don't know. I was like learning, learning some things about you being like, oh my God, we got some similarities here. Anyway, I totally interrupted you about being an Aries. Um, no, it's fine. I'm happy to go on astrology tangents all the time. <laughs> Yeah, no. So I think I just like, I really put that out there. So I used to really take it to heart when people believed things about me that weren't true or like had an opinion about me where I was like, no, that's not who I am. No. And I'm like, just try, you know, as a creator and a storyteller, I was like, I'm just trying to like show you my soul. And I like, am bearing my soul to everyone and like putting my heart out there. And, you know, it would really frustrate me, but, uh, eventually I just had to like, let that go. And I wish I had tips for letting that go, but I don't, it's time, it's age, it's therapy, it's medication. I don't know. Um, it's like healing my own issues and things. And eventually it was just like, oh, yeah, you got to trust that the people around you and the people that you work with know who you are and, you know, not everyone is going to like you. And some people are going to have disagreements with you and that's okay. As long as you're not like intentionally harming and you're doing your best to apologize and grow and change and all of those good things. It's like, mm -hmm. that's really what counts. And most people, when they see someone trying and making that effort, most people are willing to open up and mm -hmm. accept you. And yeah. Yeah. Just kindness, patience with yourself, you know, and just 
do your best. Someone said to me, it was during one of the multiple lockdowns, like everyone's doing their best and some people aren't doing their best, but for some people that's their best right now. So just like, just people are doing what they're doing and hopefully, you know, I hope good intentions, you know, well, before we finish, I did want to actually tell you how I learned about you or how I learned about Carmilla. This, maybe this is a little bit selfishly, but in a lot of these episodes, there are people that I've wanted to reach out to or that I've like thought of over the years. And I would never actually be honest with them about this thing. Cause I'd be embarrassed, but we're shaking it off and we're all new. We're going no, through I was therapy. So we're growing. Curious. I was going to ask anyway. So. Oh, you were. Okay. That makes me feel less. Um, so I actually auditioned for Carmilla and then got a call back and was like super excited. I was like, this is an awesome premise. Let's do this. Met a bunch of the actors who were like in the hallway waiting to go into the, um, I can't remember if it was the audition or callback, but a bunch of us were like sitting in the hallway. I remember it being such a positive experience. Everyone was like so lovely and such like a sense of, of camaraderie and stuff and, um, and, and didn't get it. And later sort of watched it like blow up for a really long time. I would see things online of like you and Elise or, or everybody. And and it was so hard for me to not think like, oh my God, that could have been me. Or like, maybe that was me. Like those feelings of feeling less than, or like, oh, what if, or not enough. And then I felt ashamed of those feelings because I'm like, well, don't tell anybody because then they're going to think you're not enough. They're going to think, oh, well, there's a reason you didn't get casted, whatever. And then like years after this video of all these audition tapes of actors who auditioned for The Office and didn't get it. And they were huge actors. It was like Seth Rogen. It was the dude who's in Better Call Saul. It was all these people who went on to do like amazing things. And I thought of them and I thought, as soon as the office came out and it started getting all of this hype and it's such an incredible show, I'm sure they felt so shitty that they didn't get that role. Like, fuck, they missed that opportunity. But like later they got a different role that was just so great for them. I think part of me didn't want to reach out to you because I thought, oh, I'm a reject of a club that you're a part of. Like I was rejected from that club. So I'm not going to be cool enough to hang out with her. Oh my gosh. I'm <laughs> really sorry that you were going through that. Oh, for years. You're like, so sweet. <laughs> no, because I know that feeling. I feel that way all the time. I mean, I try not to harp on things I don't book. So it's sorry not to be an armchair therapist. Now I'm very <laughs> armchair. It up. These are two areas. Like now I, now I'm like, yeah. the table's up here, <laughs> yeah. and I'm interviewing you. I'm like, hmm. And why do you feel that way? I was like, oh, I'm so curious that you also felt that way when you didn't even audition for the same role as me. Because I get like, you know, I- I've certainly looked at roles I didn't book and saw the person who booked it. And I've been like, oh, interesting. Or, you know, maybe we're a similar type or okay, cool. But I don't know. I also just like try not to take this up personally. But no, it's so interesting to me. Um, Wow. Well, I'm sorry you felt that way. And that's so funny and weird. And also, yeah, I don't know if I didn't, if you were in the hallway at the same time as me, but I was definitely like, no, oh, no, no, no. And actually, no, I didn't remember you or Elise. I think there was, and now I'm forgetting, there was a few people in the show who were in the hallway with me. Um, But also Mm. this is what I mean. Like it had nothing to do with you. Totally me, my own insecurities. And I think interestingly, maybe Aries to Aries that you're asking, 
it's funny. Like I didn't feel like, oh, I'm not a good enough actor. I think it was that I saw like, oh, look at, look at this like group of talented performers and artists who are coming together. And it really did feel like such like a collective. And I knew Spencer, the director. So he would talk to me a little bit about the process. I'm like, yeah, it's been so great. And we're doing this and now we're doing another season or whatever. And I think it was that sense of like family and community coming together and taking on these like new, awesome victories and successes that I like mourned not being a part of. I think it was more that than it was a specific like acting role. Yeah. Well, I think you'll find that though. And I think it's really important to just like, as you said, like champion other people and be like, that's cool. Like I look at Kim's convenience and I'm like, oh, I wish I could have had even just like one line on that because I love all of those people and they're such incredible actors. Some of them have become my friends, you know, and he's like, it's so cool to like even just have one line as like someone coming into the store on that but I never really looked at it and go like oh I wish I could be a part of that like and it's the same actually with like what we do in the shadows I've auditioned every single season and I have friends on that show and you know my good friend Harvey um who plays Guillermo is always like putting my name forward Aww. and you know everyone and, and even people who don't know that I'm friends with them are always like you would be amazing on that show like it's so up your alley it's comedy but it's also like vampires and dark and yeah uh, I never I never book it but I don't actually like I don't know I'm like oh that's a bummer but I'm like oh maybe next season or mm-hmm. you know because it's like you have to just it's like the casting conversation we talked about it's just like sometimes it has nothing to do with your talent and you know I'm still still hang out with some of the cast members even though I'm not part of the show and it's mm-hmm. it's great you know? yeah you're totally right no you're totally right it's it's a feeling that um feels very like unlikable and a little bit like it's hard to not feel shame about jealousy or not even jealousy, but just like feeling like, oh, you're not a part of the club or you shouldn't, you know, yeah, you didn't make it to be part of the club. But I actually think like we were saying earlier, I have found that in some of these conversations, just sort of being like transparent about it or like sharing that part, like heals it a little bit. Yeah. Often you say it out loud and you're like, oh, it sounds kind of silly or like, oh, I don't actually think that's true. I just thought it was true when I was 10 years younger or whatever. And I let it like bounce around in my head for so long. I made it a brick instead of it just being like dust to blow away. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's really cool. I won't use the B word. I won't use the brave (laughs) word, but I think it's really cool that you can acknowledge that too as well, because jealousy is an ugly little monster and Mm. we all feel it. I feel it all the time and it sucks. Like, you know, I, remember this is ridiculous but there have been times when you know maybe I don't know if you experienced but I I would see a picture of like you know a current partner's previous partner or something on their Instagram and of course I'm like don't click on their profile don't click on their profile but of course I do and then I'll compare myself to her and I'll be like uh and then it's like oh what is this feeling oh well it's jealousy or I'll be like uh or I'll make judgments about them and then I'm like well that's not very feminist of me that's not practicing what I preach like I shouldn't make snap judgments about this other woman and also your partner is with you right now and chose you and but yeah it's like I'll I'll find myself making comparisons too and and then I have to check myself and be like oh why am I feeling jealous what is what is this? And and jealousy, I think, can also be a tool to like learn a new skill or better yourself in some way mm-hmm. as well. I don't know if you've ever heard of the artist way, but I did. I facilitated the artist way, um, a group with a bunch of women and non-binary people 
uh, last summer during the p- pandemic, and we all did it together for 12 weeks. And it's this program for listeners of, um, it's like a basically like a 12 step sort of 12 week recovery program for recovering artists or, creatives <laughs> or people who aren't professional artists, but want to be more creative. And there's a whole chapter on jealousy. And it was really interesting. And it makes you write down like, who are people that you're jealous of right now? And why? And then when you start to unpack why you're like, oh, maybe these are traits that I can start to learn myself or, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah. Well, the next time you do that, I would love to join. I have it. My partner bought it for me because I wanted to do it. I started it and didn't finish and didn't get to the jealousy portion. So I'd like to read it. I think it's ironic, jealousy, anger, all these things. They're, you know, they're red flags from your body. It's a signal from your body telling you something. And often jealousy as a flag for yourself, then there's the instinct to actually run away from what your body is telling you it needs. Like if you're jealous in a moment and you need validation from somebody the jealousy actually like motivates you easily into a direction where you get like the opposite of validation you know it's so easy to fall into the trap to go the other way and I think I think oftentimes just voicing it like I feel jealous why what do what do I need right now that I'm that I can give myself that I'm not getting like is is um is really helpful in that way yeah yeah absolutely yeah well thank you for being like so um so kind about me sharing my weird little, little jealousy with you. No, thank you for sharing it. (laughs) Uh, You don't have to thank me. I really, really love people who are very self-aware and very transparent and I love being super real. So my pleasure to listen. Yeah. Well, to end off, I just end with um, some quick questions for you. Oh, I like it. Yeah. And of course, also, please feel no pressure with time. I say they're quick questions, but (laughs) all the time you want or need is what you deserve. My first one is, and you mentioned, you actually mentioned uh, a couple earlier, but who's someone, who's a person that you would really want to collaborate with that you haven't gotten a chance to yet? So many people. (laughs) I'm here in Canada. No, I'm just kidding. I love, you know, Canada's all right. Uh, Not perfect, but grateful to be here. Um, Yeah, I would love to work on what we do in the shadows. Yes. I think, yeah. All right, get you in there. All right. Clue, Dame, what we do in the shadows. We're we're manifesting it. We're making it happen. Um, Okay, what is something that you have to have in your rider? If someone sent you a rider or you sent them a rider, I'm not actually sure how that would work. And they're like, what do you have to have in your green room? And you can ask for anything and it's not, you're not seen as like, like we said before, a diva. It's so funny. Cause I've never actually had this experience before. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I've never been at this stage. I mean, like there are very simple, basic things I ask for, like, um, can I get a ride to set? And also like, <laughs> I don't want to show my boobs. Like those are things that I put in yeah. <laughs> my ride. Totally, totally. Um, and like some one time I got to ask for something. Okay. This is very weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, someone was like, what do you want in your fridge? And, um, when I was working on a project and this is disgusting, but I <laughs> would ask for like insure or boost like chocolate insure, like oh, a no grandpa, way. like an elderly person. Yeah. <laughs> um, just because like I used to have a very fast metabolism and I used to like drink it as a kid. My mom would pack it in my lunch because I like almost died of pneumonia. That's a whole other story. <gasps> so like, anyway, like I was like little. And so I got used to the flavor very young. And then it's like, if I'm working a 14 hour day on set and like, I don't really have time to eat or things like that. Or when I'd go to events. Yeah. I would just like have 
in shirt, not even as like a meal replacement shake. It was like just as additional meal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love that in your rider, it's not even like a luxury, like, oh, I want M&M peanuts only in Christmas colors. You're like, no, I I would like something that helps me function. Like it's a very pragmatic, functional, functional ask. I (laughs) love that. Can I please have some (laughs) insure? Also, I don't know, room temperature water because cold water is not great for your vocal cords. Agreed. Room temperature water. I love that. I'm not just saying that. I agree 100%. What is a guilty pleasure TV show of yours? Guilty pleasure? Yeah. Hmm. I don't think pleasure is something that you should feel guilty for. Fucking love you. But... I mean, it's not my like typical style or, but I watched um, Ginny and Georgia. I had a bunch of friends on that and I binged it really quickly and I actually really enjoyed it. And I was really proud of my friends and I'm happy they're getting a second season, but I guess I would, I'm not even ashamed to say that because I think it was a nice show, but uh, I guess I'd describe it as a guilty pleasure to only because it's not like, you know, a serious show or something yeah. I would typically watch. When I asked that question, I've had a few people be like, I don't feel guilty about it. I'm like, Ooh, this question's saying more about me than it is about other people. So I love that mm. so much. Well, no, now I should think about something that I'd actually be like a guilty mm. pleasure is supposed to be something that you're like, Ooh, I shouldn't like this, but I do. And so yeah. I have to think of something that I'd actually like be embarrassed to admit. But, 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 but. Okay. Okay. Here's an embarrassing thing. Okay. Like, sometimes I like having those like baking challenge shows, but the ones that are just not even well produced, (laughs) sometimes I like having those in the background. Perfect. Like just the weird random where it's like a Christian mom and she's making like a Christmas cake. I don't know why I like having that in the background sometimes, even though I'm like, wow, these people are awful. And you know, but. There's something like weirdly comforting and you're like, I don't know. I'm not going to read too much into it. I'm just going to feel the comfort. We're going with it. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I hate Christmas, but damn, that sugar tree you just made is incredible. (laughs) I will never make it, but it looks great. I know you get asked about your sexual identity a lot and you're such a wonderful advocate. And, um, I was listening to you on diking out and I wanted to like take notes. I felt like that discussion was just, I, yeah. Anyway, it was, it was wonderful. I wrote down different things. I'm, I would like I wrote down different terms and things that I wanted to learn about more and deepen my understanding of of certain things. And so then I thought, what is like a book or a podcast or a, a website, literally any kind of media, anything that you would recommend to people if someone was listening or watching right now and they they were looking to kind of explore or understand their own sexual identity better? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think Digging Out was a great one. Uh, gosh, I've been on a number of them. I I really, I love beautiful anonymous, beautiful stories from anonymous people. Um, mm. You know, there are episodes that are LGBTQ centered, but it's just really like people from all walks of life sharing a story anonymously about their life, talking about whatever they want. And um, it's really lovely. You learn so much about humanity. I think listening to that currently I'm listening to, there are no girls on the internet, uh, hosted mm. by Bridget Todd, who used to be a host of stuff. Mom never told you. And, um, I really like this new project of hers. Um, so yeah, that's a really good one. Again, not like LGBTQ specific, but there have been queer guests. I will tell you, oh, should I be shady on this? I was going to say <laughs> someone recommended when I started making a podcast someone recommended I listen to an episode of what is it call her daddy or call me daddy or oh something? call call me daddy I, I can picture is. the poster it's like Ooh, pink like white okay, with look. pink writing yeah I don't mean to be shady but they sent me an episode and it like 
on bisexuality. And in the episode, and I'm all for being raunchy and I'm all for sex positive women and women just like owning their sexuality and stuff. And that's awesome. Um, but I, it made me sad that a lot of like Gen Z, I guess, and younger millennials are like really, really taking, latching on to every word that host is saying because they were giving advice that was really, really fucking toxic and awful. So I love how I was just like, I'll tell you what not to listen to for (laughs) education. It can be dangerous and toxic if you're being exposed to certain topics for the first time and it is from a place that is a bit more toxic. It can be really dangerous. I don't even want to repeat exactly what it was, but like a listener called in and they were like, oh, my boyfriend wants me to do something. And it's something like no kink shaming, but it's like, you know, something like pretty out there and like pretty gross. And they were like, I'm not comfortable doing it. And how should I approach that? And like the host advice was literally just like, oh, well, it just means he wants this and you should just do it and do it this way because it just means he wants you so badly. And I was like, oh, and it was like a very like Mm -hmm. vile act, which again, no kink shaming, like for people who are consensually into it. But I was like, oh my God, someone just said, I'm not comfortable doing this thing. What should I do? And you said you should do it anyway. I was like, no. Well, and if the caller is saying no, they're saying, I don't want to do it. What should I do? Even if it's something that's, run-of-the-mill seeming or something that's seemingly more common or more socially acceptable it's like they said they don't want to do it (laughs) and there was kind of a like act of violence almost involved in it mm -hmm. as well and I was like oh if you're with a partner who's like forcing you to do something that actually involves an act of violence and like a thing that makes you vomit and like makes you sick and you're saying no and you don't want to do it and your partner's still forcing you to do that that's not a partner you should be with like And I'm not like prudish. I'm very sexually adventurous and interested in different things, but I also know what my boundaries are and boundaries are important. And it's like, yeah, you should never be with someone who pushes that. It's like if, if the listener was into it and was like, you know, I'm into it, but I'm nervous or something, or how do you approach this? Or it's a new thing. Like, oh, I'm really interested in like paddling, but I'm not sure how to like buy the right whip or paddle or something it's like you know that's different than someone being like I really don't want to do this anyway that's a tangent sorry I'm being gossipy now I champion all women but also don't advise other women who are young and inexperienced Mm -hmm. to like harm themselves that's so bad I think we also get enough messages that like who cares what you want your comfort doesn't matter your boundaries Mm -hmm. are stupid like those are old things. Like we already got that. That message is deeply rooted inside me that uh, uh, my gut, <laughs> my gut voice doesn't matter. And what other people want is more important than my safety. Mm-hmm. Let's give a new narrative. Let's try out something different. How about we try to give people some other sort of support? Cause that old shit isn't helpful and isn't working. Doesn't work. Uh, yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. I'm not gonna say the B word, but thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this episode is just the B word now. Um, okay. My last one for you. What is something that you are feeling grateful for today? I am grateful for making this connection and the ability Aww. to have technology and mm. to make connections in a time that feels very socially isolating yeah. and a time that feels, you know, very lonely and uncertain and scary. I'm, I'm mm. grateful to have met a new friend in person. Oh, Natasha, you're making me blush. I put on too much makeup. You can't even see. 